All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome to iTown in part three of this series. Want to say hello to our church family at other campuses, to those of you who may be traveling, watching online today. Of course, the correctional facilities all across the state. Come on, church, let's put our hands together. Welcome each other to church today. So good to have you in the house. Grab something to take some notes with if you haven't already. And as I say every week, the iTown Church app is a great place to do it. You'll get a fill-in-the-blank version with all the scriptures that we cover. You can save it right there to your phone. And man, it's a great resource for you as we take this journey of faith. We are studying this book, 2 Timothy. It's Paul's very last letter. He is sitting in a prison cell, isolated, waiting his execution at the hands of the Roman government. And he's writing to young Timothy in a climate full of chaos and persecution. Nero has burned the city of Rome to the ground and blamed the Christians, and so persecution is beginning to break out, not just in Rome, but around the world. And he gives Timothy this warning, this kind of encouragement that has been the foundation for our series from chapter one. It says in verse six, I'm reminding you, Fan into flames the spiritual gift that God gave you when I laid my hands on you. We as believers have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit, and he empowers us with spiritual gifts to make a difference in the world around us. We are born on purpose and for a purpose, and that purpose is to be a light to the world around us. And the Holy Spirit is who empowers us to be that light, and yet we've seen in this series that we have a responsibility to make sure that we're fanning the flame of the Holy Spirit and our relationship with him, and then also the gifts that he empowers us to use to make a difference in the world around us. And this is the encouragement that he has given young Timothy. Look, as I'm getting ready to go to see Jesus, you're gonna have to carry on this movement called the local church, the body of Christ. Make sure you keep the fire hot. Make sure that you're intentional about your relationship with the Lord. And that's what we're doing. In fact, we're studying this whole book in preparation for a time of refreshing and renewing in God's presence. We have revival nights coming up just a couple of weeks away now in October, starting on first Wednesday, continuing to through Thursday and Friday evening with Pastor Paul Doherty, Pastor Chris Hodges. It's gonna be an amazing time as we study God's word, as we just let the Holy Spirit move, as we have extended times of worship. We are gonna fan the flames of those spiritual gifts God has given us because we live in perilous times and we need to make a difference in the world around us. I hope that you are marking your calendar and that you are preparing to be here because it is going to be incredible. Of course, we'll have all of our normal programming for children, and so if you are called to be a Navy SEAL of the church, it is not too late for you to sign up to go back there and minister to young people and really kick the devil in the teeth, saving the next generation to God be the glory. We would love to have you serve on all the different teams. Pick a night to jump in and make a difference. And it's going to be an incredible time in God's presence. I don't want you to miss out. Now, each week we have been preparing chapter by chapter. It's a four-part series, and there's four chapters in 2 Timothy. As he's admonishing young Timothy and preparing him. In chapter 1, we talked about how we have to fan this flame. And he follows it in verse 6 by reminding him, don't be intimidated. Oftentimes we miss these revival moments, these fire moments in life because we're filled with fear. We're worried about the repercussions of our faith or the way that people will think about us. But he reminds Timothy, God has given you a spirit of power and love and a sound mind, power, love, and self-discipline that we'd be able to stay the course and be a light to the world around us. Chapter two, we talked about how we have to always 
Remember, last week, always remember that Jesus is alive, that the tomb is empty, that we rally around the fact that the resurrection was not just an event, the resurrection is supposed to be an experience, that we experience his power in our lives and that we live for a different purpose. He talked to us about being soldiers enlisted in the army, athletes who are disciplined, living by God's rules, and then farmers who are planting seed and harvesting a blessing, living not for this life, but for the life to come. If you miss any of those messages, jump online and check them out. Today, we get to jump into chapter three. Chapter three talks about a world of uncertainty and the firm foundation that we need to have. If we're gonna maintain revival fire, if we're gonna fan to flame the gifts that God has given us, we have to understand the foundation that we have been given in this life so that we are not swayed by the opinions of culture and the opinions of people. Let's start in verse one, he says, but mark this, young Timothy, there will be terrible times in the last days. Now this isn't speaking about like the last couple of days before the Lord's return, it's speaking in general that there will be seasons of difficulty between Paul's time and the return of our Savior, there'll be seasons that get incredibly difficult. And Timothy experienced them in his own ministry. I think it's funny that every generation believed they were the last, and we too believe that it's possible that we could be the last generation. We certainly see signs of all the things that Paul talks about today that are playing out in the world around us. But he says there's gonna be terrible times in the last days. That word terrible in the Greek New Testament, the definition of it literally means to be harsh, fierce, dangerous, or savage. Y'all didn't know Paul was down with the times. He was like, it's savage, y'all. You gotta be savage to live in these terrible times. It's, it's rough out there. So you say, well, what would make such terrible times? What, what are we gonna see that's gonna be so difficult? Well, I love this. Verse two, it says people. How <laughs> I many y'all know people are connected to lots of things in this life? He was like, there's gonna be some terrible times and it's all due to people. Jot this down if you're taking notes because it's a fact in life. When God wants to bless your life, he sends you a person. But when the devil wants to destroy your life, come on somebody, he sends you a person. Everything good and everything bad, pretty much everything memorable in your life comes back to a person. And so Paul is warning Timothy, there's some people that are gonna get pretty sideways. So let's go through the next several verses and then we'll come back and break down the different issues that we will have to face in people. What's so wrong with these people? Well, they'll be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good. They'll be treacherous and rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now, here's the kicker in verse 5. He says, they'll have a form of godliness, but deny its power. And then he says, have nothing to do with such people. Now, when you look at that on its face, you start studying the list, you're thinking probably in your mind about the world. And we, sh we don't really expect, in fact, you shouldn't expect the world to act like Christians. Now, I know there was a time in America where we were very conservative culturally, and there was a season back in probably the 1940s, 1950s, that a very conservative average individual who did not believe in the Lord, their daily life outside of reading their Bibles and going to church would look almost identical to a person who is a devoted follower of Christ. That is no longer the case. We no longer live in a culture where the world embraces 
our type of worldview. And, and you just can't honestly expect them to. They're supposed to live for the devil. They're supposed to be all twisted up and crazy. They don't have the Lord. They don't have the Holy Spirit. They don't have the power of self-control that lives on the inside of them that we as believers have. So you should just kind of expect that the world would lose its mind, that the world would be crazy. And it actually is. And the Bible prophesied that it would grow increasingly wicked and that it'd get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And of course, the Bible's right and it rings true. And we see that happening in the world around us. should not be a surprise. We shouldn't be alarmed by that. The big problem with this text, as he's warning Timothy, as he's saying, these are not atheists. These are not non-church attenders. These are people that would call themselves believers. They would call themselves Christians. They'll be hanging out in church. They have a form of godliness. They know when to lift that hand. They might give or even serve in church. They're showing up on a bi-weekly or even weekly basis. They have a form of godliness But on the inside of their hearts, the Holy Spirit is not burning hot. He's not bringing conviction. There's not real change. And I hope you know, all of us are born lost. We are all born selfish. We are all born broken. We are all far from God and would have all these things displayed in our lives if it were not for the resurrection power that lives on the inside of us. And then there's this expectation as we come to Christ that we would take a spiritual journey, which is called sanctification. That's the big biblical word for improving, you know, to being more like Christ. You're supposed to not say the same dirty words and look at the same dirty things and hang around with the same friends. You should be a light. You should be making a difference. God's word should be forming you and shaping you so that you have a new mind, a new perspective, new attitudes. And it doesn't mean that you don't blow it from time to time because we're all human. But we should be on a journey. That's what we say here at Itown. We're here to help you move from where you are to where God has called you to be. There's power to change you. We'll see that again today. God's word has power to change us. But this particular group of people is still talking the same, spending their money the same, having their marriages the same, raising their children the same, viewing the world and their possessions and even themselves and their sin all the same. They just have a form of godliness. And Paul's warning is, do not have anything to do with those people. Don't let them have influence over your life. Don't let them in your spiritual community. Don't let them have an impact on your worldview or on your kids or on your marriage or on your family. Do not associate with such people. Why? Because we have to protect ourselves, our hearts, from getting into this very same place. So let's go back and examine some of the things that Paul is talking about that could creep into the church, things that we need to be identifying in people that we shouldn't be associating with, and things that, honestly, we got to guard against, because if this has crept into the church, chances are some of us could be struggling with it. We need to make sure that we purify ourselves so that we could be the people God has called us to be. The first category, or the first heading, is those that are kind of ungodly. Let's check it out. If we go to verse 2, he says that people will be lovers of themselves, Self-worship, elevating themselves to the top priority, to the top place. Here's what Psalm chapter 10 and verse 4 says. In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. So it doesn't mean that they don't go to church. It doesn't mean that they don't believe in the existence of God. It just says in his pride, that wicked man acknowledges God's presence even, But then there's no room for him in his decision-making. This is what we call a practical atheist. 
In fact, there's a recent study that said 94% of people in our country said they believe in some type of higher power, that there is a God existence, and yet out of those 94%, only 7% said that that had any bearing on the way that they live their daily lives. That should be shocking to us, but the reality is there are a lot of people that they may come to church, they may even serve on the team, they might even give, they say that they believe in God, they profess with their mouth, but yet in their hearts, when they think about their marriages, when they think about raising their children, when they're contemplating about what to do for their career, when they're thinking about how to spend their weekend, they have no room for God. There's no moment that they pause and ask the Holy Spirit for wisdom. They don't pray through major decisions for life. They just do what makes themselves feel good. They're lovers of themselves. They just elevate self to the highest place. And Man, there's a lot of that outside the church in the world today, people who are full of pride and elevate themselves above everything else. Then he goes on to say, not only are they lovers of themselves, but they're also lovers of money. They're serving the God of this world, one of the strongest false gods. So the, one, the first strongest false god that you'll face is yourself, self-love, and worshiping what feels good to me and what I like and what I want. And then another one is money, because money promises us all the things that God promises us, that you'll be significant, that you'll be safe, you'll be secure, you'll be satisfied if you just have more money. And so even people in the church can fall for this. He says in 1 Timothy, his first letter to him, the love of money, not money itself, but falling in love with worshiping money. It's the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving it have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. So people can fall into worshiping money. And we see that all the time in modern day church where people will come to church, they'll attend, they say with their mouths maybe that they serve and worship God, but they don't tithe. They don't put God first in the first 10% because maybe to you that just is irrelevant. Or maybe you know someone that they say, well, that's just the church's way of getting into my pocket. Now I'm going to submit to God in some of these areas, but I don't like that one. So I just, I feel like it's an Old Testament thing or they reason it away. Well, God doesn't need your money, but he does want your heart. And the tithe is what breaks that curse off of our lives, what breaks mammon's power over us. But it said there'll be people in the church that worship money. See, we should worship God and use money because money's just a tool. But there are some even in the church who worship money and use God. God, would you heal my marriage? Would you bless my body? But I'm gonna do whatever I want with my money. He warned him, people are gonna be lovers of themselves. Our text, lovers of money. And that leads them to be boastful, to be proud, to be abusive. Verse four, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Certainly we live in that culture that's influencing all of us, this hedonistic culture of pleasure is the highest good, whatever feels good, do it, pursue whatever you want, love who you want. It's this worship of self, this idea that we have elevated ourselves above God. It's just an ungodly perspective. It's maybe a form of godliness. We're attending church, going through the motions, but we're not acknowledging him as Lord. We haven't really submitted our lives to his teaching, to his word, to his principles. The Bible says there'll be people in the church that are just like that. What it often leads to is this second category, and that's undisciplined. Not only are they ungodly, but also undisciplined. Paul says in verse 2, They'll be disobedient to their parents, and then later in verse three, 
without self-control. One is in childhood and the other is the result once you get to adulthood. Disobedient to their parents. Unfortunately, we live in a culture, even amongst Christians, believers, people in the church. Kids are out of control. Hello, I'm not trying to be confrontational or mean, but your kids are out of control. Somebody needs to tell you. It's time for you to parent. A lot of us grew up without parents. You didn't have people invested in your life, so you're not really sure how to parent, and I just want you to know it stinks, it's hard, takes a lot of work, takes a lot of self-discipline, but it's worth it because, I know this sounds insane, but you should be able to expect immediate and first-time obedience from your children. You should be able to speak with a quiet voice, and they would hear your instruction and know that they will either obey and listen, or there will be a consequence. This is Bible, okay? I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. I'm just trying to teach the word to you and help you because it's very important that your children learn to listen to your voice, to be disciplined under your leadership, because guess what happens? When you don't discipline them in their young life, they will grow up without self-control or discipline in their older life. If they can't listen to the quiet, still voice of their parents, who they can see, how will they ever listen to the quiet, still voice of the Holy Spirit whom they cannot see? So Parents, you're sabotaging your children. And the Bible says, hey, in the last days, one of the signs of people who will be incredibly spiritually unhealthy is that they have children who disobey their parents. There'd be a culture of disrespect in the home. And we've seen that gravitational pull in our culture today. Everything that's happening is working to drive a wedge between mom and dad and their children. The world is working overtime from the school system to the media to the news media to everything that they listen to on the radio or whatever they listen to on and their cell phone and Spotify and Apple Music to everything that they watch and movies to everything that's crammed down their throat and entertainment you have to realize that we have just gravitated as a culture from Father Knows Best to Homer Simpson. We have gone from parents are wise and understanding and receptive and able to invest into you and help you navigate the problems of life to don't tell your parents because they are hateful and wrong and the world has passed them by and some guidance counselor, some crazy pervert at the school is going to have better wisdom for them than you. That's the world that we live in. So there's a wedge that's being driven between us and our children because the world is saying we can teach them better than you, we'll raise them better than you, and, and we'll teach them about life, and we'll teach them about math, and we'll teach them about science, but now we'll teach them about health, which means we'll teach them about sex, and we'll teach them about parenting, and we'll teach them about marriage, and we'll teach them about worldview. In fact, there was a professor at a major university that recently said that they ought to make it illegal for you to homeschool your parents because it's child abuse for Christians to indoctrinate their children to only one worldview. It's time the church just wake up and realize not only is that pervasive in the world around us, but it's trying to creep into the church. We're feeding into that culture when we allow our children to disobey, when we allow them to have this worldview that mom and dad are irrelevant and out of touch. So if you're counting, one, two, God's not up in heaven going, one, come on, I need you to turn around, two, 
Don't create the culture of disobedience. That's a mark of the end times. And what's going to happen is they're going to grow up without self-control. So they're going to watch whatever they want. They're going to binge on Netflix and d- day and night. They're going to play video games all around the clock. They're not going to have any restraint with food because they have been told their whole lives they can do as they please. And not only will the parents enable them, but they'll actually empower them by mowing down every obstacle that's in their way and allowing their children to always ignore their voice. We're sabotaging our kids. The Bible says don't be around such people. Don't let that be true of us. Undisciplined. The next one is ungrateful. And the world works hard to get that into us, being ungrateful. Isn't it true as we head into the holiday season, it's the fall, and they're already decorating for Halloween, and then a little bit of Thanksgiving. But like we used to have this whole tradition that we would pause and be thankful as a culture. Thank God for his provision. Thank God for the harvest. Thank God for our relationships. Thank God for community and for family and for the blessings that we experience. But now we have sabotaged that holiday and really completely erased it with commercialism and consumerism that has consumed the Lord's birthday. So before we, the turkey's even cold, we're out spending money that we don't have to buy things that we don't need because the world is training us to be ungrateful for the things that we have been given and for the blessings that God has brought into our lives. I mean, it's so funny, too. It's easy to get to this place because we're sitting there and, and a television ad comes on watching a football game and we're like, this 70-inch television that I'm watching is just 1080p. It's not 4K. I mean, I am suffering for Christ here. <laughs> our kids complain when things buffer as they watch video on our cell phone in the middle of a cornfield driving down the highway. Hello. I'm so old that I remember when phones were in cars. They were like, I have a separate number for my car phone. The car built in had a phone. And then they made this amazing leap in technology and they put it in a bag. Y'all remember that hot minute, the bag phone? I had a bag phone, but it was after the bag phone was cool because it would already pass the season by. So everybody else had a cell phone. I was like, let me get into my purse here. Answer that phone. And now our kids are like, this 4K video on this handheld device in the middle of the cornfield is slowing down. What is wrong with life? We're all going to die. It's easy for us to become ungrateful. Happens in the world around us should never creep into the church. Another one is unholy. We live in a very unholy culture. Truth is, none of us can be holy or set apart. We can't live a righteous or holy life without the power of God. But then he says, because they're ignoring God's power, because the Holy Spirit is not hot, it's not burning in their lives, there's no purification, there's no sanctification taking place. And so they talk like the world, entertain themselves like the world, live like the world, sleep around like the world. They're just unholy. We need to realize that that... That shouldn't be the mark of the church. We should allow the Lord to move in us and to change us. But you see all these self-serving attributes that eventually plays itself out in our relationships. We become unloving. In fact, the, the Greek definition of this unloving is to be without natural affection. And there's lots of different ways that you can interpret that. But he said people even inside the church would not understand the true definition of love. 
We've talked about that, how the world is working overtime to redefine terms, to redefine the word love. And there are churches, whole denominations that are now upside down and confused, preaching things that are contrary to the foundation and the truth of God's word and calling it love. Paul said there will be people in the church that will be unloving, that we will even dehumanize people. There's a big movement towards that in case you haven't realized. It's time to take the blinders off and realize that all the video games that kids play, they're desensitized to violence and to blood and to gore because on their video game, they're just slaughtering people and it seems normal. Well, it's easy then to reduce people to that video game. It's easy through things that we see on television and stuff that we inundate ourselves with. We went through a whole season of never seeing people's facial expression. They're just a person behind a mask. It's easy to reduce people to just a political party or a sexual orientation. And as the church, we can ourselves fall into not loving a broken world. God has called us to hate sin, but not sinners. Jesus died to save sinners. We're supposed to be brokenhearted for them and to love them. So we're called, as we often say, to make a, to make a difference, not to make a point. We can get into a very unloving place and wave our finger at the world in hatred if we're not careful, especially if we make it a habit of making everything else about ourselves. The last one is that in our text, he said they'd be unforgiving. They'd be unforgiving. And what happens is we, we get wounded in life, we get frustrated, and then we hold on to bitterness, and, and we get mad at people, and we give ourselves the right in our hearts to not forgive, to not release. We put everybody in the bucket of the one person that hurt us and we decide we'll shut ourselves down. We will never open our lives again to relationships. And guess what happens? We become completely ineffective to making a difference in the world around us. How many of y'all know a church that's full of these attributes is a powerless church? Paul says they're denying the power to change them, so make sure you don't have anything to do with these people who are calling themselves Christians and yet embracing the principles of the world. We're living in those times. It's like Paul is actually a prophet. It's like the word is actually true. He knew the things that would take place. It was happening in the church in Timothy's time. It's happening in the church today. So what do we do about it? There's a few verses here at the end of this chapter that will help us embrace a couple of thoughts before we go. We jump down to verse 14. The answer, of course, is in God's word. He says to young Timothy, you must remain faithful to the things that you have been taught. So number one, we have to get teached. We have to learn. You have to, you have to get it into your life. You've got to learn what the word has to say. It's okay for baby Christians not to know the word, but it's not okay for you to stay there. We have got to take a spiritual journey of spiritual formation to learn what the word has to say about our lives. In verse 15, he says, for you, Timothy, you've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. Chapter one, we saw that he has this gift of faith. It's been passed from his grandmother to his mother and down to him. He was raised in a spiritual home. He was raised in a Bible-based home. Maybe you didn't have that privilege and you're new to the faith. You're gonna be the one that creates that new foundation for generations to come where you will have God's word as the foundation of the decisions that you will make from your children's childhood. He says, those scriptures have given you wisdom to receive salvation that comes by trusting 
in Jesus. We have got to have the word as the foundation of our lives hidden in our hearts so we can live the life that God has called us to live. Look at this, Deuteronomy chapter six. He says, memorize his laws. That's the command to the parents. God's instruction to all of you parents today is that we have got to learn the word. Memorize what is in the Bible. Don't just read the app for five minutes every day. Actually memorize God's law. Why? Because we have children to raise. Tell them to your children and don't tell them just once. Tell them over and over again. Tell them so many times. Because how many of y'all know when you're dead and you will die? Aren't you thankful you came to church today? So encouraging. <laughs> Praise the Lord. When you're dead, your children will never say, remember that one time when mom or dad said? No, they will say, do you remember what dad always said? You remember what mom always said? You got to say it again and again and again and again because about the 50th time is the first time they're hearing you. Tell it to them over and over again. Here's some examples. Talk about it all the time, like when you're at home. How about when you're walking along the road or driving in the car? Because they didn't have cars when this was written. Going to bed at night. How about devotions when you put them to bed at night? Or getting up in the morning when you're sitting around the breakfast table, which incidentally, you should have family moments in the evening and in the morning. Don't let the world tear your family apart. Put your family first. Guard that time together. All 12 of you are excited. The rest of you are like, it's not possible. I don't know what he's talking about. You can also write down copies and tie them to your wrists and foreheads so that you will obey them. Just tape scripture on your kids' heads. It's Bible. Write them on the door frames. Put them on the mirrors. Put them in your kitchen. Put them in your bathroom. Put them on your town gates. He says, put them everywhere. Put scripture every, every place of your life so that you'll remember all that it has to say. And then John 14, embrace the Holy Spirit. He's the one that will teach you all things. Make sure, parents, you get the Holy Spirit in your life. Make sure you teach your kids to fan that flame of our relationship with Him. Why? Because Joshua chapter 1 says, if you keep the book of the law on your lips and meditate on it day and night, you'll be careful to do what's written in it, and then you will be prosperous and successful. See, God's not trying to hurt you. God's trying to bless you. You've got to learn the Word so that you can live the Word. You can't live what you don't know. And God's trying to make you prosperous. God's trying to make you successful. His plans and His ways are better than your plans and your ways. God wants to bless you beyond anything that you can comprehend. So he says, Timothy, you need to get back to the things that you've been taught. That firm foundation from childhood. Verse 16, he says it plainly. All Scripture is inspired by God. It's useful to teach us what is true. It makes us realize what's wrong. It corrects us when we get out of line and then instructs us to do what is right. We read this just a few weeks ago when we studied the Word. I'm telling you, the, the book is alive, everybody. Written and authored by the Holy Spirit, it comes up into your business and it messes with your life in a positive way. It says, this is true. It lays the foundation for what it looks like to follow God, what it looks like to do what He's called you to do, to embrace your sexuality, to embrace your identity in Him, to live out the life He's called you to live in your finances, in your marriage, raising your children. It teaches you what's right, and then it also exposes what's wrong. And then it helps you correct it, training you to do what's right. Number two, you've got to just embrace it. You've got to embrace it in life. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 says it this way. We also thank God continually because when you receive the word of God, 
which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as human words, but as it actually is, the word of God that is indeed at work in all of you who believe. I love the fact that it's at work in us. The word changes us. If you'll allow it, the Holy Spirit will use God's word to make it come to life, to change you into the person that he has called you to be. It starts with understanding what it says and then embracing it in our lives. And then verse 17, he concludes, God's going to use the scripture to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Number three, we have got to live it out. We can't just say that we believe it. We have got to put it into action. We've got to follow the principles of God's word. James 1, you've heard it before. Do not merely listen to the word and so you deceive yourselves. Do what it says. That's my challenge for you today. If we want revival fire in God's house, if we want to experience something fresh and new, we can't let messages like this just pass us over and continue binge watching what we want, eating what we want, not being disciplined as we please. We've got to put the word into action and align our lives. And guess what? God's never asked you to do something he didn't first empower you to do. God's word will come to life in your heart and he'll empower you. If you'll begin to memorize it, meditate on it, embrace it in every area of your life and put it into action. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to pray that God would give you strength this week to live out the principles of his word. We live in terrible times because we're surrounded by crazy people. And yet God's word is a firm foundation. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's the unchanging truth that will be a firm foundation for you. I wanna pray that God would give you confidence in it and that you would embrace it as the foundation for life. But first, I wonder how many of you are here and you've been blown and tossed by the winds and waves of the world, maybe even grown up in church, but allowed these types of people to impact you and you pursued pleasure, pursued pride, pursued possessions and all the things the world has to offer. If that's the case, chances are you're feeling pretty empty and broken today. Or maybe you've never known the Lord and you know how that plays out. You're in a place that feels so fruitless, so purposeless. I want you to know that true fulfillment, true satisfaction, true meaning in life comes from our relationship with Jesus and the principles of God's word. You can have that today by making him Lord, don't deny God's power to change you. Maybe you've been in church for a long time and never let the Holy Spirit really take control of your life. Maybe today's the day. With every head bowed and every eyes closed at all of our campuses today, I want to lead you in a simple prayer that will help you reorder your life. I'm not going to have you stand or come to the front. I'm not trying to embarrass you. I just want to connect you with Jesus. If that's you with no one looking around, no one moving around, would you do me the favor, if you want to be counted in on this prayer at all of our campuses, just to lift your hand up high for a moment. Come on, just right now, put your hand up high. Say, Dave, that's me. Would you count me in? Yeah. Yeah. So proud of you. That's great. All across the room, you can put your hands down if you haven't already. Here's what we'll do. I'm going to lead you in this simple prayer. You can pray it quietly in your heart. You just need to mean it. Just say, Lord Jesus, forgive me today. For all of my sin, I repent and I surrender to you. I make you my Lord. Fill my life with your presence. Let your power change me. 
make me new. Then just whisper to heaven, today I give you my life. In Jesus' name. God, I thank you for every person here. And for this great journey of faith, we pray that we would heed the warning from the Apostle Paul to young Timothy. We are living in perilous times. Help us not to be influenced by the people around us, but to be a light. God, we pray that these mentalities, these attitudes would not creep into our hearts, but that we would protect our lives by the principles of your word. We thank you for the things that we have been taught, for the foundation that we have been given. We thank you that all scripture will work in us and deal with us, changing us to be who you've called us to be. God, we thank you. Your desire is to prepare us and equip us for everything you've called us to do. So this week, we pray that your word would play an active role in our hearts and in our lives so that we can fulfill your purpose for us. We love you today. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said amen. Amen. Come on, church, would you celebrate with those who prayed that prayer today? Yeah. Thank you so much for joining iTown Church online today. We would love to have the chance to meet you and your family in person at one of our campuses. Or, of course, you can join us streaming live online this weekend. Now, for more details about times and locations and even some of our streaming options, you can go to itownchurch.com. I sure hope to see you soon. God bless.